2 Corinthians chapter 5, when you have it, say amen. All right, we're going to look at verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 19. It's the words of Paul to the church of Corinth. Here's what he said. He said, so we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body uh, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust also that we are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, Christ compels, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer that way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, but he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. God, I thank you that it's already anointed, but I pray that your anointing would rest upon each and every one of us. Lord, to communicate and to receive the word of the Lord that you have for your people. God, I pray that, it, that my tongue would be like that of a, the pen of a ready writer and that the people's hearts, Lord, would be uh, consumed by it. Lord, today I pray speak to us, give us wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and most of all, faith to put it into action. God, we give you praise glory for it this morning in Jesus name and everybody said amen hallelujah you can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning well look at somebody real fast beside you and shout good morning we are so glad that you're here I want to say pastor Seth did a phenomenal job last week we were an hour ahead of you guys in Ohio and so while we were actually uh, driving to lunch, we were listening to him, and it was great. He almost made me wreck my car on the interstate. Amen. But I appreciated his comments on, on mothers and those things, and so it was a really great word. But you know what? I'm also glad that the church doesn't fall apart if I can't be here. You know why? Number one, because it's not built on me. Number two, we have good leadership. Can we give him a hand? Praise the Lord. We're excited for that amen the church is always in capable hands and if you were here on Wednesday night you understand why that is important uh, this morning we're going to continue our series entitled pay it forward we I actually started this two weeks ago I'm going to continue this uh, this morning and also next week but um, this series encapsulates the heart of the responsibility of every child of God that God has called us to get involved with his mission. See, we talk about the Great Commission, and everybody rejoices about the Great Commission. That is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures and all creation. But the thing is, it's not called the Great Mission. 
It's called the Great Commission. And co is a, a, a linked up uh, part of the language that it links the co and the mission. It means together in the mission. Amen. And I want you to know something today that God has called you and I to get involved in the mission. Praise God. And so the very first week I talked about answering the call to missions. And I announced uh, last Wednesday night and also uh, just not too long ago that uh, God has called us as a church. He's called us as the assemblies of God and the greater body of Christ to be missional. And so we're a missions movement. We live and breathe to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And because of that, and because of your faithful giving to missions, and because of our board and their vision for missions, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we were able to say yes to nine new missionaries that will be supported out of our church. Praise God. That's worth celebrating. Amen. Not only that, but we're raising up people who say they feel called to missions. But so we're all called to pray. We're all called to give. And some of us are called to go. And so we talked about that and its importance. This morning, however, we're going to talk about a different aspect. Because listen, all of us are not called to go to the mission field. But I want you to listen to this. We are all called to go to our neighbor. Praise the Lord. We are all called to go to your neighbor. See, you can give money to a missionary to go to the field for the Lord, but you can't shirk the responsibility of going to those around you. That is our God-given Christ responsibility to share the faith with Jesus Christ to those who are around us. And so this morning, I simply want to talk to you for a few moments the necessity of personal evangelism the necessity of personal evangelism George Barna said recently that in America in in the community of a local church it is estimated that some 70% of people who live in the proximity of a local church have never received a personal invite to that particular church what that means is it is is possible to be in the community and people not know it hello somebody you need more than a sign that flashes on the highway you need more than a trendy media program more than YouTube more than Facebook or Instagram or anything like that you need boots on the ground person to person eyeball to eyeball People who are a part of the body of Christ sharing their faith with their co-workers, their colleagues, their classmates, come on, their friends and their enemies. We need people who will share the gospel with those around them. And so this morning, we're going to look at our personal responsibility. You know, it's been said, and it's true, the Bible bears this out. I want you to hear me clearly this morning. There are two types of people in this world. Not three, not four, not five or ten. There are two types of people as it relates to the gospel. Are you ready? The first one is there are saved people. Everybody say saved people. There are saved people. The second category of people are, is, is the worst one, they're lost people. They're lost people. You have saved people and you have lost people. There's no such thing as an in-between, a maybe, a hope so. You are either saved or you are lost. There was one, one gospel writer, I believe it was R.A. Torrey, said this. He said, there are really two kinds of Christians. 
soul winners and backsliders. Hello, somebody. Because all of us, by birth into the kingdom of God, have been called and commissioned to preach the gospel to those around us. If you've been in our Wednesday nights, which if you haven't, I encourage you to. Some of you work, I understand that. But if you're able to come on Wednesday night, I encourage you to. Because we preach on Sunday. We teach on Wednesday. And on Wednesdays, we've been talking about how though God has five ministry gifts to the body of Christ to equip the saints, we are all, somebody say all, we are all called to the ministry. You may not be called to be a full-time pastor or an evangelist or a teacher, but if you are saved, you are enlisted in the army of God. Amen. There is no in-between. We are a part of the body of Christ. God has called us to share our faith with those around us. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what Paul is, is talking about. In, in a 1 Corinthians, or rather our text, 2 Corinthians, rather chapter 5, Paul is talking about um, the, the, what happens after this life. Paul's dealing with the reality of, reality of eternity, and he's dealing with the seriousness of salvation. You know, Paul was a man who was very educated. Paul was uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel, circumcised on the eighth day. He was an elite Jewish man in that society. But Paul was radically converted. He gave his life to Christ. And when he came to Christ, hear what he said. He said, all of my accolades... All of my accomplishments. He said, I count them as rubbish. One translation says, I count them as dung. He said, the only thing that matters to me is to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and to enjoy the fellowship of His suffering. Paul's pursuit after encountering Jesus was one of only one, and it was this. It was to seek and save the lost and to push forward the kingdom of God. Paul lived an adventurous life taking the gospel to places that it had never been, raising up leaders, setting elders in every city, putting pastors like Timothy in the church of Ephesus and, and encouraging those that he had poured his life into. But Paul lived for souls. Here's what Paul said. He said, I am a debtor to the gospel. I am a debtor to the gospel. Paul understood that that which I have apprehended first apprehended me. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Paul was not trying to earn some type of love from God, but rather Paul was pursuing Christ with such passion, with such zeal, with such vigor, because he understood the grace of God that captured him, rescued him, and the only right response for you and I to be able to repay, if you want to use that terminology, which we can never repay Jesus, but it's to tell others about the nature of Christ, His redemption, His grace, and His mercy. Let me tell you something, church. It doesn't matter the most wicked person that you ever run into. Serial killer, psychopath, child molester, murderer, it doesn't matter. Us in the flesh, we may always deal with things. We may always deal with certain improprieties or certain feelings that we have but make no mistake about it 
you will never, not one time that you're on this blue marble planet will you set your eyes on somebody that God doesn't love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You will never set your eyes, it doesn't matter if you're mad at them, it doesn't matter if they hurt you, you will never set your eyes on a person that wasn't created in the image of God and that God doesn't love. And listen, folks, if God's about the business of saving, then the church ought to be about the business of reaching. But I want you to know that we live in an hour where atheism is at an all-time high, People go off to school, they come out more confused than when they went. It's the secularist agenda to try to decrypt and to, to demystify and to ultimately deconstruct the faith of our people. And so listen, oftentimes we think that it's going to be a big service and we believe in having great services in days past, people would have great crusades, and I believe in crusades. But listen, in this season, Jesus said, don't you say four months into the harvest. Look up your eyes and look and see. For the field is already white for the harvest. He said, then pray to the Lord of the harvest that what? He would send laborers out into the harvest. He never said pray that they'll come into the church. He said, pray that laborers would go out into the harvest. Let me tell you something. That prayer is for you and I today. To tell somebody that just one person matters for Jesus. Listen, Luke 15, 4 tells us that what man having a hundred sheep loses one, does he not leave the 99 and go diligently seek for the one until he finds it? Listen, it is all about the one. Some of you are, have, have passion in your heart to, to reach thousands and to preach to thousands, but I want to know something this morning. Are you willing to reach just one? Just one. Just one. Paul gives us great insight in these passages and these particular scriptures as he begins to, to talk about them. And it's rather lengthy, but I don't want to read them all again for you today. But I do have six truths. They'll go quickly this morning. Six truths out of this that talk about the necessity and the reason for personal evangelism. And I pray that, that all of these in some shape, form, or fashion will help you but I pray that one or two of them at least will stick out to you so passionately so that you can see what I'm talking about today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, I want to talk about our compulsion. Our compulsion. Paul says this in verse number nine. Paul says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. I want you to know something. The goal of my life is not to please people. The goal of my life is not to please my spouse, ultimately, although I hope she's pleased with me. The goal of my life is not to please my kids or, or in-laws or anything like that. My ultimate goal in life is to be well-pleasing to God. And I want you to know something this morning, that if God is happy with you, it doesn't matter who's not. Hello, somebody. If God is happy for you then, and happy with you and well pleased with your life, then that's all that matters. Listen, when I get to heaven, I want you to know, what I appreciate what Pastor Seth said. He says, some people graduate, thank you, Lordy. Hello. 
Some are, some are you know, uh, summa cum laude. Other people are thank you laude. Amen. When I, when I get to heaven, I don't want to just barely get by. I want Jesus to say, well done. My good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. The reason why it's important for you and I to win souls is because it should be our compulsion to please God. And what pleases God? Yes, our faith pleases God. And, but I also, hear me this morning, our obedience pleases God. Now, our works don't get us saved. In other words, God's not keeping track with how many doors you knock on and you got to meet the quota before you can get to heaven. That's not what this is about. There are some groups that are based on that and, and Jesus does not teach that. But listen, just because our works don't get us to heaven, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to have good works because the Bible says we have been created for good works unto Christ Jesus. In fact, the proof of your good works is actually proof of your salvation. Why? Because the Bible said you shall know a tree by the fruit that it bears. If you have no apples, hello somebody, you're not an apple tree. Sheep produce, help me. Sheep produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. It ought to be our compulsion to reach the lost around us. It must be our obsession. Another word for compulsion is obsession. Just one more soul. Our theme at District Council this year was say no to zero. You say, what does say no to zero mean? They did a stat of our churches and churches in general uh, in the state of Oklahoma and in the, in the reporting things where people report their attendance and they, appoint, uh, uh, they report their baptisms, there were several churches that reported zero salvations in an entire year. I believe as a church we ought to say no to zero. Come on, somebody. That is unacceptable. It is unacceptable for us to claim that we love a God who changed our life, but yet we won't tell people about it. You tell people about your sports team. You, listen, you, if you get around somebody who truly loves football, it's all they can talk about. Because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And listen, it ought to be our obsession and our compulsion to tell people about Jesus. It ought to be our compulsion. The second thing, and I told you I was going quickly this morning, the second thing that ought to drive us and motivate us, number two, is our compensation. Now, this sounds funny to some people, but I want you to know something. Listen to me. Look at me. Payday coming. Payday is coming. Payday is coming. Paul, Paul said in verse number 10 of our text in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, look, look at what he says right here. He says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things that we have done in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. Paul said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That means you, that means you, that means you. We are all standing there. As a Christian, there's no exemption. See, the two judgments that, that are in eternity 
There's a judgment for the believers and there's a judgment for the non-believers. The non-believers are solely judged on the fact of whether or not their name is included in the Lamb's book of life. That judgment happens after the resurrection of the wicked dead at the end of the seven-year period or at the end of the, the uh, thousand-year period. And, and death and hell is opened up and cast into the lake of fire. It's terrible. But the Bible talks about a judgment for believers called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And all of us are going to stand there and listen, at that point, that judgment for us is not based on whether we're saved or not because you're saved at that judgment. But that judgment is going to be judged based on our works. Now listen, I already told you we're not saved because of our work. We're saved because of Christ's work. Believing in His work is what gets your name in the book. But when we go to heaven and we stand before God at judgment, each and every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we are going to give an account for what we have done. The Bible said that things like, like uh, great things, like, like a precious stone and silver and gold, it'll pass the trial of fire. But in other things that are not good things, they're just temporal things, they, they, they are material things of this world, they'll burn away like wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says we'll be saved, but by fire. Listen, the reason why the silver and the gold and the diamond and things of that nature are not burned up because they've already been refined by the fire. See, Scripture talks about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And so he talks to us about storing up for ourselves. And here's what I need you to know this morning Payday is coming. Now, I hear you. There are some people in this room, you might be saying in and of yourself, well, Pastor, I don't serve God for a reward. Too bad. Not your world, not your life. You don't pick the rules. His world, His creation, His rules. One of the last things Jesus mentioned in the book of Revelation uh, or, or, uh, is in Revelation chapter uh, 22, verse 12. You don't have to turn it to it this morning, but Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. His reward is going to be with him. Jesus told other people and, and the apostles as well, Hold fast what you have so that nobody takes your crown. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19, Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, my crown in heaven will be that you are present with me. The book of Daniel talks about a soul winner's crown that is given to those who turn many unto righteousness. Listen, the apex of all Christian endeavor is to place a jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior that the Lamb that was slain may receive the reward of His suffering. Give us one more soul. Hallelujah. Give us one more soul. Listen, we're going to be compensated when we get to heaven and I don't want to be empty-handed. I heard a story this week. I posted it. Some of you may have read it. For redundancy and for, for those who have not heard it, I will read it to you or state it to you today. I read a story about uh, a Christian man in his late 60s. He served the Lord his whole life. And gave his life to Christ as a young man. He was active in his church. And he was getting ready to die. And 
On the day of his death, the hospital chaplain passed through. And as the hospital chaplain always does, he, he gets with the nurses and sees who you know, really needs to be seen or whatnot. And the chaplain comes by and he asks this man, he said, can I pray with you? And the man seemed shaken and he said, sure, you can pray with me. Chaplain looked at him, he said, are you okay? He said, I'm okay. He said, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. You know, folks, you need that assurance at the end of your life. I know that I know that I know. To which the chaplain replied, then why do you look so scared? The old man sat up on his bed and here's what he said. He said, you know, he said, I've had a long time to sit and reflect about my life the last few days. And he said, here's the truth. The truth is, I'm not afraid to die. I'm ashamed to. Because I know that I'm about to stand before my Lord and Savior, having never won a soul to Him. This man went to church, he mowed the grass, he paid his tithes, he was nice, he went to all the coffee meetings, but he never got involved in the mission of the church, which is to seek and to save that which is lost. Friends, let me tell you something, when I stand before God, I don't want to be ashamed. I'll be glad to go to heaven, but I don't want to be ashamed. I want to join with the elders found in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 that John saw when he had a glimpse into the heavenly realms and he said those elders cast their crowns at his feet I want to have something to worship my Savior with in eternity give us another soul it's important here's number three the third reason why we have to look at our personal necessity of, of evangelism number three this one is important my friend because of our conviction when you look at what Paul said further, he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust well known in your consciousness. Here's what Paul said. He said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, we look at our compulsion and our compensation, but thirdly, we got to look at our conviction. Paul said, We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The question this morning is this. What about those who stand before Christ having never given their lives to Him? It's not popular. Pop, the, uh, pop theology doesn't talk about it a lot. Hallmark doesn't, doesn't talk about it. But the truth is, my friend, just as there are only two types of people, saved and lost, there are really only two eternal destinations, heaven and hell. There's no in-between. You don't go to purgatory until your, your soul gets cleansed. No, the Bible says, as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. Let a righteous be righteous still, and the unrighteous be unrighteous still. The way that a man dies is how they enter into eternity. And Paul understood the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord. See, we've lost the fear of God. We've lost the fear of God. See, I want to tell you something about hell. Many of you may not realize. Hell's not a place where the devil's in charge. People think, well, you're going to be tormented in hell forever by the devil. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. 
The devil and demons are tormented in hell for eternity. God created hell as a place of righteous judgment for sin. But here's the thing though. It was never created for us. It was created for the fall of the angels that happened sometime in the dateless past. But because one of those angels, namely named Lucifer, convinced Adam and Eve to transgress and bring sin into the world, now because God is holy and righteous and cannot look upon sin, He has to punish it. The Old Testament was a constant foreshadowing of God providing the sacrifice for what would come to be Jesus, who would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And ultimately, Jesus on the cross was the wrath of God on display for us. For every sin, every sickness, He took upon Himself. Galatians said, He that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Like Paul, we paid a debt. Jesus paid a debt that He did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. But listen to me, my friend. You need to get this in your spirit today. I, listen, I pray in the name of Jesus that God would grip us with this today. We need this in our hearts. Listen, everybody's preaching about revival. We want revival. We want revival. Listen, I want you to know something. Before we can have a sweeping revival and before we have a reaping revival, we must have a weeping revival. We got to have a weeping revival. I dare to ask the question this morning when's the last time you wet your pillow over somebody who didn't know Christ? I'm not talking about a little God bless some prayer. I mean, the, the, the fact that you couldn't sleep because you're so disturbed that they could possibly cross over into eternity without knowing Jesus. See, it's our conviction, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. The word persuade there, it means to convince with passion. The gospel never was meant to be a take it or leave it. We don't want to impose on you. Friend, if you saw somebody heading towards a cliff and they were unaware of the impending judgment or drop off on the other side, you and I would do everything within our human power. We would flail our arms. We would raise our, our voice. We would even run and try to grab the person by the nap of the neck and try to pull them back. Friends, listen, why is it that we would do more for that than for people we know every single day who are running into a devil's hell? The Bible says hell has enlarged herself daily. People are going there in record numbers. I got news for you. More people are going to hell than are going to heaven. That's what the Bible says. We got to have a conviction, a fervency, a passion to preach and reach other people as if it may be our last time. Because it might be. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to I talked to them on the phone one day. They were dead the next. Friends, 
Do they know Jesus? Got to be our conviction. Amen? Make no mistake about it. A fiery, eternal separation from God awaits people who don't know Him. That's why we're crazy. That's why we do what we do. That's why we rejoice because we're not going there. Hallelujah. I, I just lost half the church right there. You know, Billy Graham said he believed when, when he died, he said he believed half of 50% of people who went to church are not even born again. I don't know if that's true. Billy Graham said it. But I do tell you this, if we were truly saved, we would get excited about the Great Commission. Amen. Hallelujah. We would be ill-content and we would be, we would be not willing to be satisfied with empty baptismals, empty altars, empty programs, and empty pews. But we would passionately, with conviction, reach people who need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth one. Not only our conviction, but our compassion. Look at what Paul says in verse 13 and 14. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Friends, you need to understand Paul is saying in this in this passage, in verse number 13, he said, if we are beside ourselves, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Here's what Paul's saying, if I'm crazy, if you think that I'm crazy, it is because of Christ that I'm crazy. If I am of a sound mind, it is because of you. But here's the bottom line, the love of Christ compels us. Listen, not only judgment, but love. You see, these are two things that seem contradictive to each other, but they're not. See, the problem is, is you can scare people into relationship with God with hell. Hell is, is real. We need to talk about it. We need to. But the love of God compels people. So here's the issue. We should never broach the subject of evangelism with the lost, reaching those who don't know Christ, with a smirk on our face, saying you're going to hell. But if they're going to go to hell, let them go over our, tear, our, our, our tear-stained cheeks. Let them go over our tear-stained altars. Let them go over our, our, our tear-stained pillow as we weep and ask God to intervene in their life. Why? Because we have to have a love for those who are lost. Jesus loved the lost. He loved the lost. You and I have to love the lost. Here's the fifth thing. One thing that drives us is our confidence. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Why is personal evangelism important? It's important. See, friends, we can complain about our community. We can complain about the drugs. We can complain about trafficking. We can complain about uh, uh, homelessness. We, we can complain about the divorce rate. But listen, complaining never changed anything. See, the gospel is not like the message of, of Confucian. Uh, the gospel is not like the message of Islam. The gospel is not like the message of all of the other Eastern religions of the world. Why? Because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has the power to change humanity. The gospel alone has the power to change the very character and competency of a person. It is the gospel that can make an alcoholic into a sober-minded individual. It is the gospel that can take a sexually confused person and make them straight in their lives. The gospel is the one that can take a liar and a thief and make them an upright citizen. See, we have to preach the gospel because the gospel is what changes lives. That's our confidence. I know this guy over here. He's a knucklehead. I know he does things in our community. And I know that he's a troublemaker. And I know he's the worst kid in the high school. But you've got to learn to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Because when they get saved, when they get changed, when they get born again, God can make them a new creation in Christ. And that which was old will be no longer. Their past life will be but a shadow of a testimony for the grace of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Christ can break addiction, loosen the hold of anxiety, shipwreck the agenda of hell, and make a new man, uh, make a new man out of the old man. He takes the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. Black and callous, he washes it white as snow. The fifth was our confidence, and here's my last one. I'm about to land this plane. Number five is our commission. Yeah, number six. Thank you. I wanted to keep going. That's why I said five. All right. Praise the Lord. Number six. Number six. Look at verse number 18 with me. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The other reason of the necessity of our personal evangelism is because it's our commission. It's our commission. It's our commission. How many of you Christ has reached today? Come on, you know that you're saved. Raise your hand. Here's what you need to know. Reached people. Reached people. Reached people. Reached people. If you're too busy, then you're too busy. Because your job accolades, your bank accounts, your savings account, all of those things on payday will not pass on into eternity. Only what you've done for Christ will stand 
the necessity of each one of us sharing the love of God with the world around us. It looks different for every person. Personal evangelism is all of our commissions. Sometimes it looks like the hallway of a class, of a school. Sometimes it looks like the break room of a factory. Other times it may look like the golf course. It may look like your crafting club. It may look like all types of different things. Because personal evangelism is just that, personal. You see, social media and digital technology has ruined so many of us. Because pastor says, hey, invite somebody to church, and you shoot somebody a text. Listen, the te- a text is the least personal form of communication you could ever share. Doesn't take any faith to shoot a text. I mean, it's better than nothing. But an eyeball to eyeball. Hey, man, I was thinking about you the other day. Praying for your family. I want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? You know He's the answer to what you're going through. It's that easy. That easy. You don't have to be able to quote the entire book, Gospel of John. You don't have to be able to homiletically and hermeneutically be able to to translate the book of Revelation to where everybody can understand it. You just simply have to say, Jesus changed my life. He can change yours. That's that's the gospel. The evangelism, to, to evangelize, it simply means just to herald the good news. And here's the great part about it. You're not altogether responsible for the results. One of the greatest things I ever saw in Scripture, and I'm closing, is when Jesus told us the parable of the seed and the sower. The sower went out to sow. Out of his pouch he reaped, and he sowed that seed. There were different kinds of grounds the Bible said it it sowed on. Stony ground. Different areas. Some some of it fell by the wayside on the side of the road. Birds of the air came down, plucked it up before it could take root. The sun scorched it and it withered away. But listen. In that case, in all of those cases of that parable, It wasn't the seed that was bad. It was the ground. And as sowers, when it comes to sowing the Word of God, we don't have time to examine each and every piece of parcel of land to see if they're worthy of us to sow a seed. We just sow it. Because our responsibility is to sow. The sower is the Word of God. The sower is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God, rather. The sower is us. We sow that seed. Listen, folks, you don't know at what time a seed is going to pop up out of the ground. There's seeds in this room you may have sowed 20 years ago. You felt rejected by your gospel presentation. That family member may have told you, leave me alone. Do you know what? Hard times 
life, circumstances, have a way of doing things to people. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes in their life and they water that seed. You plant it, life fertilizes it. Come on, how many of you are picking up what I'm putting down? If you're going to walk in life, you're going to have some fertilizer moments. People say the grass is greener on the other side. No, the grass is greener where you fertilize it. And then somebody comes along and waters it. Paul said, he, who is he that plants? Who is he that waters? But it's Christ that gives the increase. It's not our responsibility for the results. Because I believe that the law of statistics actually tell us you're probably going to get rejected more than you'll get accepted. Jesus tells us that. You're going to be despised. I've had doors slammed in my face before. But listen, when I stand before the Lord, I don't want to be empty-handed.